a father's grief, a child's abandonment, a lover's transformation. Peel back the skin and witness the beating, bloody heart of author Eric LaRocca's debut fiction collection, The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales. Hot off the release of the best-selling novella, Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, LaRocca's new collection features eight chilling tales of the macabre. Praised by iconic voices in horror such as Daniel Krauss, Tim Wagner, and Chad Lutsky, this collection is sure to be one of the most talked about collections released this year. The Strange Thing We Become and Other Dark Tales releases on September 1st, 2021 from Off Limits Press and is available to order wherever books are sold. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Hard podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes killing time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Please say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And before we move on and introduce our amazing guests, let me just throw a little plug to a friend of ours, Michael David Wilson. He has a uh, editing and writing consultations. He has worked with people such as Josh Malman and David Moody. For more information, go to michaeldavidwilson.co.uk slash editing to find more helpful things there um and while you're at it check out this is horror we have the new ad on the very beginning uh great show brennan i love it uh we are here talking to s.a cosby he is the author of audio listeners i am pointing to uh his debut (laughs) (laughs) my darkest prayer followed by the very big hit blacktop wasteland and the latest one razor blade tears Sean, how are you, man? Say hi, please. Hi, everyone. Thank you guys for having me back. I am uh, I am actually exhausted. I'll be honest. It's been a busy, <laughs> busy month, and uh, I feel like um, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm juggling 
uh, a lot of different balls while the floor is on fire and somebody's shooting in my feet. But other than that, I'm all right. <laughs> That's great. And oh, hey, perfect timing. We got a surprise guest host, Heather Levy. Hi, Heather. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I'm embarrassed because I confess my 90s grunge crush on your 90, 90 grunge persona. So <laughs> I didn't even hear that. I just came on. But uh, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> Heather, yeah, Levy. <laughs> Heather Levy is the uh, author. Her debut was brought to our attention from Sean the first time he was on, which was episode 60 of season one. And her uh, debut book, yep, through Paula's books, is Walking Through Needles. We will right. absolutely talk about that later. Heather, say hi, and please tell us how you're doing. Oh, my gosh. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's 8 o'clock where I'm at, so I guess it's a much later where you're at. So uh, I, I kept looking out, out the window because we're supposed, to get a, we're supposed to be getting storms. So I was getting really nervous about storms coming and especially after the last time, because we know we've had to put my episode on hold since I got sick and that sucks. <laughs> but yeah, outside of that, I'm actually doing really well right now. I can talk and everything. <laughs> what about you? I want to hear Sean. Sean, how's it feel to be surprised, sir? I am uh, slightly uh, euphoric and also, like I said, slightly embarrassed because I, <laughs> I made a, uh, a, a confession on Twitter the other day. Miss Miss Mrs. Levy here posted one of her 1990s era pictures, and I made a joke that 1990s era Sean, who would always have a backpack full of Stephen King and Clive Barker books, would have had a crush on 1990s era Heather Levy. But I would, but 1990s Sean would have never, 1990s Sean would have never said anything. I would just, I would just wrote bad poetry for like three months. <laughs> do, do you love how I, like it was the worst picture that I could possibly put up but it was the the quickest 90s photo that I could find so like okay I mean I know oh, I don't know what I was doing in that picture but but I thought it was pretty iconic one my bed wasn't made there was my nine inch nails poster in the background there was like a, some really bad piece of artwork that I also did in the background and the flannel of course and then I, the hair was just oh gosh oh and then I had and the like, Landline. Yes, my landline, my <laughs> private phone line that I like that was that that was right after I must have been probably close to 16 because I started working when I was 15. Um and, and I worked just so I could get a phone line, my private phone line. <laughs> and a lock for my door, because you know, I needed a lock for my door. And if you read my book, I, I, I <laughs> Yeah. I, I didn't have a private landline, but I had a phone in my room. But I always suffered the horrible indignity of trying to talk to whatever girl I liked that I was getting writing bad poetry for and trying to sound like Eddie Vedder and my mom <laughs> getting on the phone and making me get off. So it, it would always go like this. I'd be on the phone like, so, you know, I was just thinking, you know, I was going to write you a poem based on like Lord Byron, if that's something you want. Get off the phone. I have to talk to your aunt. I, all right, bro. I guess I'll never see you naked. Goodbye. <laughs> oh. I love it. I love it. Oh my my throat is going to hurt wrong, but this is so worth it. <laughs> oh yeah oh, be careful <laughs> you just had surgery <laughs> i i told so i'm sorry like the mom comes out <laughs> when <laughs> when i talked to my doctor it was it was uh 
the uh, last month, uh, uh, July, he um, said, so by the way, if you want this surgery, you got to get it done next month, which is August, or I'm not going to be here for a year. So it's up to you. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and I, I told him, this is the first time I've told like a doctor or whatever. I'm like, how long until I can talk? Because like, I'm a podcaster and I kind of do like two a week. And <laughs> he goes, you want to wait at least two weeks? I'm like, all right, when Sean's, all right, when can you do it? All right, that's <laughs> almost two weeks. All right, let's do it. Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it has been almost two weeks. Okay, you're good. You're good. See, I'm, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put the mom vibe away. All yeah. right, all right. So we we were telling Sean before we started recording that like no ass kissing, but it's just such an honor talking to the guy, and and he's always he's very interesting. He listed like probably thirty people that we should look into reading, <laughs> and you were one of them. You were one of the first ones. Um, let's talk about. You want to talk about walking through uh, needles real quick? Oh gosh. <laughs> like, you know, just in general. <laughs> no, I want to hear Sean. I want to hear Sean's breakdown. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. So I got to read two versions of Walking Through Needles. I got to read the original rough draft, which is I would say significant has has significant differences. It's not significantly different. Those are two different things. It has significant differences from the final draft, but both of those books. I've never read, and I said this before, so it's not me just saying it because you're here, but I've never read a book so aggressively fearless. You know, I've read books where people have written very honestly about things and honestly about subjects and difficult subjects, subjects that are hard to talk about. But I've never read a book where someone, especially a debut book, where someone was so just viscerally fearless. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like that scene it's like that scene in, in, you know, you think about Lady Godiva riding through town uh, with, you know, uh, on the back of a horse naked. And, and it's emotionally, that book is like that. It's like, here is everything that is going on inside my mind right now. And, and I admire that and, and envious of that ability to be, you know, I think as close as I ever came to doing anything like that with Blacktop Wasteland. And, excuse me, and the parts where I'm talking about the father-son relationships and, and you know, the mother relationship, you know. And my mom passed away a few months ago and I loved her, but we had a difficult relationship, you know, a complex relationship sometimes. And so some of that was in Blacktop Wasteland, but that pales in comparison to the emotional vulnerability, fragility, strength and honesty that is on on display in, um, you know, walking through needles. And on top of all that, it's a really interesting mystery, a really interesting thriller um, with a really strong uh female-centric lead character and a strong male character that doesn't suffer because the female character is strong. And that's a trick that's hard for some people to pull off. A lot of times people think if you have a strong female character, then you have to have a a, a milk and toast sort of male character. And both Arrow and the main character are both very strong in their own right. And they also have their own weaknesses. So I couldn't say enough good things about that book. I'm so, so happy that it's getting the attention it deserves. Thank you so much. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Where's my drink? I needed a drink. <laughs> I was like, our, our son's like in the shower as we speak right now. And I'm, of course, I'm, I'm like, make sure you get in there before the, before there's lightning. <laughs> like, I'm definitely, <laughs> that's, you know, that's usually a way to get the kids to do things. There's a storm coming. You better get to bed right now. <laughs> Better eat your 
but yeah, <laughs> I, I need a, I need a drink. I didn't have, I didn't have time to grab a drink beforehand, but now I kind of feel like I need one. They're like, we can, we can pause. Now. Yes. I'm going to, well, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a cheers, um, a virtual cheers to you. Cause that's, uh, that's, oh. you're, you're just so kind. And, and of course, you know, that I think the world of you and your writing, I mean, I remember whenever I read, uh, I read like a, not an early copy of My Darkest Prayer, but I, I read that right whenever it came out. And, and I was like, wow, okay, yeah, like there's this, this guy, this guy has something that I have not seen. And, you know, it's so freaking, I, I feel like it's becoming a rare thing to see someone take a, a, take a risk and especially someone who like has such a love of language and I mean, you know, you've, I'm sure both of you have read it, read his, has read, read his latest book. And it's just like, okay, how do you, how does that even come out of your brain? Like, it just, it just seems to flow so easily, but yeah, I did, I did get to read, um, uh, and I think it was like an early copy of razor blade tears too. And, and, and that, mm-hmm. and cause we were just like, I'll trade, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and I was, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, it was just uh, or not rich book. It was a blacktop wasteland. I got to read an early copy mm-hmm. of. Although I did get to read an early, I guess it was an earlier copy of Razorblade Tears too, because I know. It was yeah, like, the arc. Yeah, that I got to read the arc of it, and I was like, okay, yeah, this, like after blacktop wasteland, I knew I was like, you're gonna be big, and I'm like, I'm getting a blur. From this <laughs> I'm getting a blurb from this guy now, <laughs> and I did. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you knew it because I had no idea what was going to happen with Black Thought Wasteland. I think, you know, it was one of those things where I wrote it, okay. and I was like, oh. <laughs> it makes me. So and I meant every word. It. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I mean, I meant every word because it's a remarkable piece of work, and it's just, you know, it's very, um, you know, like people look at me sometimes now. You know, and I'm very aware that, you know, as my mom used to say, the shine wears off of new pennies real quick. So, <laughs> I mean, so I mean, but people look at me now and they're like, oh, you know, tell us your 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 writing theories, your narrative theories. What do you do? And I'm like, you know, I just want to tell a good story. And yeah. I don't I, I know I wasn't as self-assured with Darkest Prayer as you are or you that your writing seems to be with Walking Through Needles. I had a lot of fear. When I wrote uh, Darkest Prayer, it's very, it's, it's actually really a, you know, a pastiche of the traditional PI novel with some of my own flavor thrown in and things that I wanted to talk about. But it was a very safe book in many ways. You know, it was like, okay, here's a PI, he's unlicensed, he's sort of like Easy Rollins, but he's in the country. And then there are interesting things. He works at a funeral home and has a whole thing with that. And I think that's intriguing. But yeah. this man, walking through needles, is just, I've never read anything like it. And I don't say that lightly because I read a lot and I'm just, I'm just so, so happy for you. And I'm so proud of you because a, a lot of people, when they write a debut novel, they write something really safe. They write something that will fit the algorithm. And um, you didn't do that. you like wrote the story that was in your heart and here it is. And, you know, lumps and all. And I, I can't, uh, I can't express how happy I am. Uh, for you. Plus, I love the cover. The cover is so badass. I love that cover. I know. <laughs> <Delightful>. <laughs> I know. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, my colors. I love it. 
Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. my, my, my husband, Kyle, who's like, like an honorary, uh, like, I, I just call him the honorary editor, because that's what he, he, that's, he's my first editor. And he's, he's kind of like in the, the VoucherCon group, you know, like the writer, like he's kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just blends right in like he's a writer. Um, he's not. Trust me on that. <laughs> but, but he's just a ferocious reader. Like he reads everything. And uh, he finally, like he can't, he, he doesn't get to read. Um, he can't bring his phone into his work. He's a government worker. So he can't, he like can't bring a phone at all to his work. So he has to read, you know, actual hardbacks. And he's been so busy, like, uh, he finally, finally got to read your book and he just finished it up. And he, he was just like, this is, this is such a great ride. And like, and he just loved your use of language because he recognized it just like anybody else does. Like you have this magical way with, you know, metaphors and similes. And it's just like, what? Like <laughs> I would, he's like, I never would have thought to, to make this comparison. I'm like, he's got like this magical brain that I wish I could I wish I had that ability but you know as writers we always wish it's it's always greener right like I wish I had that ability that that skill yeah um because I setting is always like that's always it's hard it's my weakness so I think for for me but you're you're like you seem to be running on all cylinders all the time so (laughs) (laughs) you gotta like no it's 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 hard Oh man, no! It's hard recognizing your own strengths when, when as a writer, you usually focus on your weaknesses. Like I, I know, like one of my weaknesses is in. <laughs> I cannot describe interior scene settings. Save my life! Like if you built a house based on the way I describe it in books, it'd be eighty-seven feet long and twelve feet wide. It'd be like <laughs> nine rooms on one hall. It's just awful. <laughs> So I just sidestep that now. I just sidestep. I'm like, they went in the house. It's just like, you know what the house is. Shit. We don't have to do it. Um, there's some but, stuff. I mean, you know, since we're, yeah, there's a room. There's a bedroom. There's some stairs. Have at it. Um, but no, one of the things that I, you know, not to uh, be too, uh, too puerile about the book, but the one thing that I, I admire with your writing is, and, and I write violence way better than I write intimacy, whether it's physical or emotional intimacy. I can write somebody getting hit in the face with a hammer. I can write somebody having their hands slammed in a truck door five times, you know, until their fingers are mush. I can write that way easier than I can the real raw emotional or the real uh, raw physical intimacy. And and you have that ability to do that. Uh, there's a couple of writers that I like that I, I, I find that you, very, that you have that in common with them, uh, Megan Abbott's one. Uh, people that are able to write that way without having to fight at it, and like, I, I, and I, not a people, not a lot of people don't notice, but the end of Blacktop Wasteland that's in the book that's published is way different than the original ending because that that conversation that ends that book was very difficult for me to write. It was I felt awkward writing. I felt like I, you know, I felt like I was at somebody's house, and you know, when you go to somebody's house, and all of a sudden you hear people arguing. And you're like, oh, I gotta leave. Where's my coat? Just keep the coat. I'm gonna get out of here. And, uh, I mean, and I, I mean, I know I'm not the only person that's been to somebody's house, and all of a sudden somebody's like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of you not putting the top on the goddamn peanut butter. And it's like, hey guys, I'm gonna leave. Y'all can keep the Tupperware bowl. I'm not gonna need that bag. Oh, now the door's locked. All right, well I'll just go through the window. Oh, it was, it was. It was 
it was really difficult for me to write that scene. And I, I love how, and I, I mean, I don't know, it may have been difficult for you to write those scenes in your book, but those scenes between your main characters, not just the physical ones, but the emotional ones, where they're laying it out there raw as a nerve, is, is I admire that. So whatever shortcomings you think you have, your strength is writing about emotional and physical intimacy in a way that's not salacious, but at the same time in a way that's interesting and intriguing. So I, I admire that. You know, uh, well, I, I admire it anybody, but I especially admire it in that book. So, yeah, like I said, it's it's hard for me. I, like I said, I'd much rather write about somebody, you know, getting their teeth knocked out. I can do that all day long, but uh, trying to talk about feelings. And, <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I loved and, and I and I totally saw what you were talking about that with with the last that uh, that scene, like. But, but didn't like don't you feel like whenever you start getting uncomfortable that that's that's when you know that that that's going to be good like that's where you need to go because that's that or at least that's how I felt whenever mm-hmm. I was writing those scenes mm-hmm. I was like yeah I mm-hmm. feel oh yeah I mean somebody recently put on Twitter like they had mentioned my book as a, a book like somebody asked what's a book that made you gas recently and they're like I Heather Levy and I was like you know what I I gasped in some places myself, but but it was it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, this is if I'm surprising myself, then I then I know that the reader's gonna be there. Um and mm-hmm. you know, for good or not, like they're gonna they're gonna be there. So and that's mm-hmm. you know, that's like the best thing. Whenever you're you're in that moment with those characters and they don't feel like characters, like I don't wanna give away I'm not gonna give away anything, but I'll I I cried. I cried. I'm not gonna lie. I cried during uh, actually a few parts in your book, um, uh, in one particular place, which I, I can't say at all because that would be a huge spoiler. But it, yeah, it, mm, yeah. It, and, and Kyle and I talked about that too. He's like that part just. Real, I was just so sad. I was just. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, just know when you read it, everyone, you will you will know the part. You will know those. <laughs> parts but uh the, it was a part towards the end of the book i'll just say and i'm like oh. <laughs> i know what you're talking about I, and i think those parts <laughs> like you said the more the more i don't think it's difficult but the more raw and uncomfortable i feel when i'm writing something the closer i know i'm getting to the truth you know yeah. that if i feel uncomfortable if i feel like this is very emotionally you know uh uh, uh powerful if i feel like this is something that is 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 ripping something like ripping the, the, the you know top layer of skin off mm-hmm. then i feel like i'm finding the truth and, and 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 i think i i think for me i push myself to do that more and more like the 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 emotional variability in black top wasteland is dwarfed by the things that are going on in raised by tears and that was intentional i really when i started raised by tears i really wanted to push myself and 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 really, you know, just take that knife and and just grind it down, you know, to the bone and really dig deep, um, because I wanted people to feel something in a way that I wanted people to feel something differently for Black Tide Wasteland. You know, in Black Tide Wasteland, I wanted you to feel the weight of the responsibility on Bug's shoulders and the, and the weight of his decision to be who he wanted to be. Was he going to be Bug or was he going to be Beauregard? And his 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 battle with his identity. With Razorblade Tears, I wanted people to feel the incredible sense of loss and regret that both Buddy Lee and Ike feel because their children are dead. You know, they're dead. They're in the ground. There's a scene in the very beginning of the book 
where Buddy Lee is trying to convince Ike to join him in this, you know, mission of revenge. And he starts telling Ike about a nightmare he's had where he can see his son, Derek, you know, with holes in his head and his blood pouring out. And he's, he can dream of him. He dreams of him in the ground, you know, with, with worms and maggots eating him. And Ike just says very simply, stop, you know, and, and it's, it's that type of pain that I wanted to really pull forward uh, because without that pain, then the violence that comes along later doesn't make sense because the violence is a direct reaction and response to the grief and regret that they feel, you know, and the more they feel this grief, the more they feel this regret, the more violent they become, because these are two guys that they only know how to communicate through violence. They, they don't know how to talk. That's why they weren't close to their sons, uh, among other things. And so I, I, but it was hard. Like I remember writing that and that scene that you're talking about toward the end, I cried, I cried writing it. I had to stop. I had to, Stop, take a drink, walk around. Uh, and you know, and, and I didn't Did you? Know, I was you like, know. I had to reread. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. And I just like went back a couple pages. I'm like, I'm just gonna just keep reading <laughs> said. I'm like, oh man. But yeah, you, you send did, those, you did it. Well, uh, you know, you send that and you send that off to your editor or whoever you send it to and you don't know, you know, and even if the editor likes it, you don't know how people are going to respond to it. So I do get a little perverse sense of glee when I see on Twitter that people talk about, oh, this book ripped my heart out and stomped on it and I couldn't stop crying. How many days to recover? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Well, anyway, we've been running off at the mouth. I'm sure Brendan and uh, and Patrick have some questions or something. I was going to say, Brian, go first. (laughs) But before he does that, we're probably not. I don't know if we're going to come back to this. What I want to say is piggybacking off of Sean. It's not going to be as intelligent or beautifully written, but I'd like to see myself as an amateur poet. So uh, please give me that at least, Sean. But are you but, gonna uh, read us a poem? No, no, I don't know. <laughs> it's the meds, man. I don't seemed know what like, I'm talking about. Seemed like right you now. were leading up to that. <laughs> no, no, no. Beans, beans. <clears throat> the more you eat, the more you okay. So uh I agree with Sean. That was very you just peeled off all your layers and you said this is who I am. You like it or you don't. And um, I don't know if that's what your intention was, but for me. Something that I uh, I don't think I wrote in um, my review was that I felt nothing but pure sadness for Arrow, um, for both of them. But for me, yeah. directly, what I could relate to is for the longest time, and this is not a sympathy thing, but for the longest time, it only seemed like in my teens that the only girls I could find were ones that were... were cheaters and ones that mentally fucked with me so it's not the same scenario as arrow obviously but like he's going through mental physical emotional gymnastics so it pulled me back to my own experiences and he's still what is he in his 20s yeah it's what 15 years after yeah, he w- he would have been like uh, 30, 30. Yeah, he was like right at 30 because Sam would be 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 15 years, that's a long time to still be living in the, he, he's not, his soul hasn't moved a single step from when he was a teenager. And I think that's really sad. And you know what? The best thing that someone taught me about writing horror, you don't end it with someone dying. You end it with someone living through their hell. 
And that's what you yeah. did. You kind of got hope though in there too. So that works. I hope I did. I'm like, oh man. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I, I do. I like how I built that up. You got hope too. <laughs> like, I totally agree with that. I mean, I mean, it's just like with Sean's book, like, it, you know, there's no, there's not a clean ending. I'm not a big fan of those neat, tidy endings anyway. That's not life. That, that's not life. Yeah. And um, I mean, they're, they're great to read every once in a while. I mean, even I will read my, my fair share of like, you know, some romance kind of laced things. It's usually like erotic laced things too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, like yeah, I, I think hope is important, and I and I do, and I still, and I think that the razor blade tears is has hope there too. Like it really does, and that's that's kind of the thing that that brings you through, makes mm-hmm. all that emotional up and down just. It, as a reader that it's so it's so fulfilling whenever you get that um but i've read plenty of books that don't end on a hopeful note and they were still you know fulfilling in a different way but mm-hmm. i don't know there's something about um just going through all that shit and then like okay he, here's the light breaking through the clouds like that i just i eat that stuff up so that, i hope that i did a little bit of that with walking you know? <laughs> no, hey look i, I was just <laughs> I added hope at the end for a reason. <laughs> Brennan, jump in. I like to oh, go ahead, Sean. I was going to say, I like to say my writing has a sort of dark optimism where a lot of people see my writing as sad and it has, like, I've had people complain to me that they liked the book, but the ending was sad for both Blacktop and Darkest Prayer and Raised by Tears. But I like to look at it in the reverse. You know, it's like, it's a dark optimism because at the end of the day, in all three of those books, the people who survive have the ability to change they have the ability to go on you know uh paul a friend of mine who's a great writer uh paul j garth uh he said this the other day we were talking i did a i did a um like a workshop online for rock and hard place magazine and give them a shout out rock and hard place magazine published Mm -hmm. some of the best short crime fiction and dark fiction um in america today but anyway i did a webinar and paul was on the webinar and he said this he said you know a book isn't always the story of somebody's life it's the story of the of a moment in this person's life. And so all books are transitory. All books are talking about seven days, 12 days, five years, 10 years, whatever the duration is. And you don't see the full person in that snapshot or in that time period. Those, per- those people, I like to think of those people after the books end, what are they doing? Are they moving forward? Are they growing? Are they changing? And so I like to leave it on a little bit of like an optimistic note, but at the same time, I'm fully committed to embracing the darkness because the darkness, you, you know, you can't have a, a sky full of stars if the, if the sky isn't dark. And so I'm fully committed to that. Damn, that's so a good I quote. Is that your I quote? I love it, yeah. Wait, 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 is that your quote? <laughs> Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's it's it's cool something quote. I'm working on now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but, uh, that's, that's so anyway, it. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> it just blew my it. fucking mind. Brandon, go ahead, sir. <laughs> well, I can't follow that. That's not fair. Um, no, the one thing I wanted to say, you know, Sean, as soon as you dropped the word fearless about uh, Heather's book, like that's that's it. 
you know, I think I struggled to, you know, try and only use that word five times when I wrote a review, because that was, that was the biggest thing that jumped out at me is, you know, Heather, forgive me, but the book has balls. Um, (laughs) it's, it's, it's fearless, it's unflinching and it does not, you know, if you, if the reader likes it, that's great. If the reader doesn't like it, fuck them. Um, like that's the (laughs) attitude that it, it, hits you in the face with, you know, on every page, but no, a really, really wonderful book, you know, and congratulations on the, you know, on the reception that you've got on it. Um, and that's why, yeah, of course. Say, all right, good night, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a compliment parade. <laughs> that's so rude. No, um, ask my question. <laughs> I'm an ass. I'm only kidding. <laughs> So, Sean, one of the biggest things that, you know, I wanted to hear you talk about, and you have a little bit already. Uh, the last time we uh, we had John here, you you were talking about Beauregard uh, in Blacktop Wasteland, and you described him as, uh, you know, an, uh, an average guy who just got faced with, you know, the same decision as the rest of us and, and, and made a different choice. And it feels to me like, uh, with, with Ike and with Buddy Lee and Razorblade Tears, the, the way you tend to describe them is they're just men of violence and it's shaped their entire lives up to this point. And it shapes all of the actions going forward in this book. And I just think that's such an interesting mindset. So what was it like to kind of put yourself in, you know, 250 pages of just, that's it. That's, that's, that's everything. I think, you know, for me, they are men of violence, but as the book progresses, they are slowly changing. It's a very, you know, Oh, it's a very turgid change. It's like watching the tree grow. Um, but they're changing a little bit There's, because at, the, at first it's just violence. They just react. You know, they go to that little uh, that little uh, tobacco shop and, uh, and and mess with those uh, those poor. Oh, you fuck that kid and, up, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. Wait, you know, wait, wait. That, one that, of those you, you said you said wet snap. I just had to focus on that. Those little descriptions <laughs> is what makes your violence so cringy, man. <laughs> oh, the thank finger you. went snapped. Like, oh, <laughs> goddamn. Well, thank you, sir. Um, but in the beginning, it's 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 all of they, you know they're just bulls in a china shop. But as they go on, they learn. They start using their head more. They start. They never become detectives, but I think they become smarter and more aware. And 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 so. By the time you get toward like the last third of the book, where they're making decisions that aren't just based on violence, you know, there's a there's a conversation they have, uh, and I don't want to give anything away, but they are looking for someone, looking for a woman named Tangerine, and there's a con- they find her at a farmhouse, and there's a conversation they have with her where she's thinking, okay, you two tough guys, because she can see it, see it in their demeanor, see it in their physicality. Are you gonna smack me around? And Buddy Lee is the one who says, look. You ain't got to tell us, but please tell the police, tell somebody because, you know, and that, and it's like Ike looks at him and it's the first time Ike looks at him and he realizes that, you know, we, there's another way to go about this. You know, we don't have to kill everybody. And then five minutes later, they got to kill everybody. But um, <laughs> at that moment, <laughs> at that moment, Ike is, is, is looking at him like, yeah, 
you're right. It doesn't matter if we get the revenge personally, as long as the people who did this are held accountable. And by the end of the book, and you know, there are moments as the book proceeds that they are able to show that they're growing and changing, but you know, they still got that, you know, that devil in them, you know, that, that hornet's nest for a heart that, you know, all you got to do is just shake it a little bit and it'll come out. And so I, I, I was, I find them very, I always felt like very sad for both of them. I really did. I felt sad that they didn't get to enjoy uh, their sons. You know, they didn't get to enjoy the life that their sons had made. Uh, I felt sad that they, they don't know how to communicate without their fist. And, and even though they're trying, they've wasted a lot of years uh, having that as their only way of expressing themselves. And so the things they do in the book, the sacrifices that they make, um, are their path to redemption. Um, but that being said, the book is extremely violent. I mean, it borders on grotesque, but I felt self-assured in writing that violence because I don't have any children, but I have a niece that I help raise. And um, yeah, if somebody did something to her, I could very well see myself uh, showing up their house with a baseball bat with nails in it, with no no compunction at all. And so I felt like, you know, the loss that they suffered, the violence that they meet out is in direct proportion to their loss, um, you know, and, and so it for me, their violence never felt gratuitous. Um, it's gory and it's bloody, but it never felt unearned when I was writing it. And I, I, that's that to me was the biggest challenge. I wanted to make sure that whatever anybody else said about the book, that they didn't feel like the violence was gratuitous um, because, again, they've lost their sons, you know, and, and there's nothing that's going to bring them back. And so I, that's the worst pain I can imagine. You know, like I, this is not my original quote, but I read it somewhere. There's a word for somebody who loses a spouse and there's a word for somebody who loses a parent. But there's no word for a parent who loses a child because that's against the natural order of things. And so that's what I was trying to invest into the book as I wrote it. That's amazing. Um, Heather, you had a good question, so I'd love it if you could <laughs> okay. ask that. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a two-parter. It's a two-parter question. <laughs> Actually, it's really just two questions. Um, okay, so, right. so, so my, my, first que- my first question is, out of all the characters that you have written, um, you know, across the board, which one do you believe is, like, closest to your like your personality or even like your, like your moral compass, like all of that, like everything together, which one, which one's really you? <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, I have, I have my ideas, but I, okay, go ahead. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> I think if you wanted, if you had, to, if you had to pin me down, uh, I think probably Nathan Waymaker. Nathan Waymaker is just me, but he's better looking and way cooler. Uh, because a lot of the stuff I, that Nathan says are my thoughts. A lot of the way he looks at the world is the way I look at the world. I have never killed someone in revenge for, you know, killing my parents. But a lot of the other stuff that Nathan has done. Also, I will say this, and I guess I'm telling on myself a little bit, but anybody's read, anybody's read Darkest Prayer, a lot of Nathan's escapades, intimate-wise, are somewhat based on my uh, pre-single life when I was single. Uh, so um, if anybody's read the book, the first scene, the scene where Nathan and his friend uh, Raheem go to the bar and they uh, pick up some young ladies that are in town for a wedding. Uh, they were part of a wedding party and they 
proceed to retire to a, a, a hotel room. And the young lady falls asleep in the middle of a uh, certain act is, 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 I will just say that's, that's inspired by true events. <laughs> <laughs> so so Nathan it. is much, is very much as close, as close to me as Pop. I think he's the closest of my characters to my real personality. Okay. That's, I, I, that's, that's who I would have guessed. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have written it down to prove that. Like I should have written it down on paper and be like. <laughs> so you can hold up the piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, I should have. Damn it. Uh, okay okay so, so second question is out like um out of all your characters that you've written which one would you just murder in a heartbeat without thinking no blinking twice and why <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man uh 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 i think uh the van de kellum kid from darkest prayer I think he deserves he I think he deserves to end up in an unmarked grave. Uh anybody read the book knows why. Um yeah. but I think <laughs> I think just because he's so unrepentant about what he did. Like I think in the again, I wrote the book, but if I postulate on a little bit, I think if he had just expressed a little bit of remorse, I don't think what happened to him would have happened to him. You know? Uh so yeah, he's the guy I like the least. The person who I think but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll add an addendum to that. The person who I think <laughs> who I think is the person who deserves probably others, if you're going in, like coming in second behind Van de Kellum, is, uh, is Grayson from uh, uh, Race Day <laughs> Tears. Because he's such a piece of shit. He's, yeah. But he's a tough, he's a, he's a dangerous, he's a dangerous adversary. He's a tough guy. You know, he, he's, he's a, a powerful antagonist, but he's also such a piece of, he's mean to everybody. Even the people in his gang, he's mean to, poor <laughs> Dome. And he, you know, he almost gets his earring pulled out. You know, he's just so mean and nasty to everybody. I don't want to kill him, but I, I damn sure want to like him in the face with a hammer. Just, <laughs> so that's a two, two part answer to the two part question. That's, that's great. Perfect. So we got a question. We got two more questions from listeners. I'll ask Bob Pastorella uh, before we start recording. We're talking about this is horror. Uh, he is one of the co-hosts. He asks, this may have been covered before, but how does his how does Sean's love of horror fiction translate to writing crime fiction? When does the haunting of the soul shift into the darkness in our heart? I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, yeah. I think horror. My love, of, I love horror. You know, I've talked about it ad nauseum, and you know, in many other forms before. But for me, I was always drawn to the mid-American naturalistic horror, like Stephen King, Robert Block, Richard Matheson, um, folks like that. Uh, you know, uh, some of the early uh, horror writers that people don't talk about anymore, like Manly Way Wellman uh, and uh, uh, you know uh, Charles Grant, Charles Charles Grant, Charles Beaumont, uh, folks like that who wrote about just everyday normal people in normal or even sometimes people in lower middle class settings that had something horrific happen to them and how they dealt with it. And I, I took that and kind of translated it and transplanted it into my crime fiction uh, where it's just a normal everyday person that doesn't have a, you know, a particular set of skills that they just got to <laughs> deal with what's going on in, in their life. And I find that fascinating because I find that, you know, the everyday person, you know, when they're pre presented with either a, a supernatural adversary or 
or just you know a a, a physical adversary in a, in, a, in a more realistic setting, you don't know how what what reservoirs of strength you have until you test it. And I think that's uh I think that's fascinating for me. On another note, a lot of my violence is very much influenced by horror. Uh, you know the goriness, the detail, like you said, the wet snap, the way blood looks on a concrete floor. Um, the smell of violence, you know, I, I use a lot of sensory overload when I talk about violence in my stories. And I took I, I directly stole that from like Stephen King and Clyde Barker. Clyde Barker mm. is oh, the most uh, incredible writer when it comes to sensory description, even yeah. better than King, I, I think, you know, um, and just I, the yeah. way he talks about flesh. And I mean, I don't mean to sound to make that sound sex, sexual, but the way he talks about flesh and how it can be ruined. And how it can be, how it can be, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, satiated is incredible. I mean, you read anything by Clyde Barker in the hills and the cities, um, you know, uh, the son of celluloid, the Madonna, all the stuff in the books of blood, anything in Weave World. There's a scene in Weave World that I directly used inspiration from to write a, um, I wrote a, uh, <laughs> a comedic horror story about a lion. And there's a scene in Weave World where uh, the head or the, the main antagonist, this witch, is attacked by a lion once they go into the weed world. And the way he describes her scars after this lion has, has, has had at her, it's so visually powerful. And I took that from, from horror fiction. I, I, I fully admit that I crib all of that from horror fiction and try to in, in, in infect that into my crime fiction. Uh, yeah. Um... That's that's fantastic. I love Barker too. Um, God, what I'm struggling with the title, guys. The, the hell, the one that inspired Hellraiser. Hellbound Heart. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Hellbound Heart. That talk about, set, heart, yeah. talk about sensory details. I mean, that that's just uh, full of them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that was a great answer. Great question too, Bob. Thank you, sir. And we have one more. Uh, I didn't get a name, but uh, it's dark. It's through Kathy Coge's Dark Factory. Uh, what was that, Brennan? That's a play that Kathy did, or is I believe it's a whole like multimedia thing. I know she's like writing mm-hmm. stuff for it, but it's a website, uh, huge production uh, on her part. Yeah, I think that's in Michigan where she's at. But uh, they asked, please ask who whose work you find mo- most energizing. Oh man, and um, well, I mean, there's so many people. You mentioned Kathy Koja. Uh, I was a huge Kathy Koja fan back in the 90s, you know, because she wrote her writing in the 90s was very, very, you know, uh, time period specific. It was talking about a very specific moment in, in the culture. And she talks about, you know, she wrote about punks and goths and, you know, sort of the proto grunge folks that live on the edges of society. Uh, anybody who hasn't read Kathy Koja, you know, remedy that immediately. Uh, Skin. Skin is one of the greatest horror novels I've ever read that has no supernatural elements at all. None whatsoever. It's I got the audiobook the for that. Of, yeah, it's just about the disintegration of a person's mind and how love makes fools of us all. And, uh, you know, so Kathy Koja, I think somebody who inspires me, and I guess that could be translated to energizes me, um, there's a guy, a writer named Donald Ray Pollock. He's only written like two or three books, um, but one of them was called The Devil All the Time. And I read that book like once a year since it came out. Um, and it's an incredible, it's the most Southern Gothic book that's not set in the South I've ever read. And, uh, and he just 
writes in such a, a plain spoken way. He talks about these horrific, horrific things in just this plain spoken, all shucks way, which makes it even more horrific, which makes it even more banal. It's a crime novel, but it's also a literary novel. It's, oh yeah. Oh man. I got, <laughs> I got, I got Malcolm Stiff here people. somewhere too, but I'm not going looking. Yeah. Uh, so Donald Ray Pollock inspires me. I mentioned Megan Abbott earlier. I think Megan Abbott is one of the, she's created her own subgenre, suburban Gothic. And you have to be a hell of a writer to make your own subgenre. And you're the only person <laughs> yeah. in it. Uh, as, as she inspires me, but you know, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you somebody and, and, and I don't know how many of you guys have read him. Um, but, uh, there's a guy named Jordan Harper and he wrote a book called She Rides Shotgun. And he's also a screenwriter. He's right. Written for television. Uh, he was a uh, staff writer on Gotham, uh, I believe The Mentalist and a couple other shows, Jordan Harper. But he's he's written a couple of anthology, a couple of short story collections. And uh, uh, She Rides Shotgun was his first full length novel. And it won like all the awards, won the Edgar and, and the Thriller Award and stuff like that. That book, as far as specifically talking about crime writing, mm-hmm. it made me realize I had to up my game. You know, I, I read it before I wrote Blacktop Wasteland, and I don't think I could have written Blacktop Wasteland if I hadn't read She Rides Shotgun. Or if I had writ- written it, it wouldn't have been what it is, because reading She Rides Shotgun made me realize, more so than any book I've read recently, that crime fiction can be elevated to high art, that there is no such thing as genre when it comes to quality. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Shakespearean operatic tragedy, you know, that takes place along the highways and byways of Southern California and it's steeped in blood and violence and the smell of burning flesh, but it's also beautiful and moving, you know, and it tells a story of a father and a daughter. Um, basically it's a story of a father who's in prison. He runs afoul of an Aryan brotherhood type gang. Uh, and so his family is now in danger. His wife and his daughter have a hit out on them, including him. He also has a hit out of them. He escapes from prison to protect his daughter. He's too late to save his ex-wife, but he takes his daughter with him and he's trying to figure out a way to get this hit off of her. And, you know, it's just, it was a, it was a book that made me want to stop writing almost because I read that book and I was like, I, there's nothing I'm ever going to do that's going to equal the level of artistry that exists in this book. The way he plays with language, the story, the plot, the themes, the narrative, the emotion. And once I got over that, when I sat down to write Blacktop Wasteland, one of the things I had a copy of, uh, she Rides Shotgun on my desk. And I would look at it whenever I got down and bogged down with the details of Blacktop Wasteland. And I said, I don't know if this book is going to be better than She Rides Shotgun, but I'm damn sure going to try to make it its equal. Um, I don't think I succeeded, but I wouldn't have been inspired to even attempt it if it hadn't been for Jordan Harper. So that's my uh, final answer. Man, that guys, I'm I'm gonna hand it over to Heather or Brennan in a couple in, in like two minutes, but that's incredible. I gotta read that book if that's what inspired Blacktop Wasteland. And you know what? I have a book like that that's inspiring my debut. Now I it's still being written, so who the fuck knows it, who's gonna actually read it? But uh-huh. <laughs> and that book is Peter Straub's Coco. I can't you can ask Brennan. I talk about that book probably more than most books, I, I, I'm just like, huh? it has so many fucking turns and it, it's got a topic, the Vietnam War, but it, it's just, it's all over the place and so beautifully layered and it's, it's crime, it's, it's, liter- it's literary, it's, it's horror. 
Yeah, I feel the same way of Coco as you do as She-Ride Shotgun. Uh, let's talk about you, Sean. Back to Razor Blade Tears. I actually had a two-part question. Uh, homophobia okay. is a heavy theme in Razor Blade Tears. What was your process for writing that theme, including homophobic slurs? And there's a follow-up question to that when you're ready. Um, yeah, so basically the inspiration for Razor Blade Tears came in two parts. Um, one, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine named Todd Robinson, who is a great writer and editor in his own right. He used to publish a quarterly crime magazine called Thug Lit. And a lot of your favorite crime writers got their start in Thug Lit. Jordan Harper was publishing there. I was publishing there. I got a gentleman named Ed Chris, who's a fantastic writer. Um, there's a lot of great crime writers who came out of Thug Lit. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, RIP Thug Lit, he doesn't publish it anymore. But he was he was a great great editor and, and I really had a great eye for, for talent. I'm not saying I'm talented, but he had a great eye picking up other people. Um, and we were talking about my, my birthday was coming up and I turned 48 on my birthday. And uh, we were joking about being men of a certain age when you start looking and, you know, you have maybe less tomorrows than you had yesterday's. Yeah. And <laughs> what's your legacy? What do you, you know, what do you want to leave behind? What, what, who are you? And, and, and the mistakes, we both talked about mistakes because we both, Grew up, you know, he grew up in Boston. I grew up in Southeast Virginia, but we both grew up in environments where masculinity was defined by violence. Where masculinity was defined, can you take care of yourself in a fight? You know, can you if you're insulted, you stand up for yourself. And so, I don't want to say that was toxic masculinity, but I think it's tragic. It's a tragic viewpoint of masculinity. And we were talking about that. And you know, there are things that I did when I was younger uh, that I regret, and I wish I could go back and change them. And what do you do to atone for those things? So that was one part of the inspiration. The other part was a good friend of mine who I uh, actually started kindergarten with who came out a few years ago, African-American uh, person who came out to their parents and it didn't go well. And afterwards, we were having a conversation and they said, you know, I should have just kept it to myself. And that filled me with such incredibly profound sadness because I couldn't imagine what it was like to not be able to be the full version of yourself with people who are supposed to love you unconditionally. Because who's supposed to love you more than your parents? And so that was the inspiration of the book. And so when I started talking about it, I was I made a committed. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't pick up on my fiction. I didn't shy away from using some homophobic slurs because the characters that I'm writing about, the, especially, you know, the villains, they speak that way. And I wanted to really I really wanted to drive home the fact that these are people who who are or feel this way. And these are people that you should not emulate. And these are people who are ignorant and lost and narrow minded. That being said, I have this little thing that I do in my writing. Anybody that uses a pejorative term for race or sexuality, at some point in the book, they're going to get their teeth handed to them. If you if you read Blacktop Wasteland or you read Raised by Tears or even My Darkest Prayer, anybody uses any kind of negative slur, at some point they're going to get their teeth shoved down their throat or they might get a bullet to the head or they might get their forehead caved in with a tamper. Uh, and I do that on purpose because it doesn't happen enough in real life. And so, um, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, I, um, you know, I used you know, friends of mine who identify as LGBTQ plus to read the book as beta readers to give me, you know, their feedback. And, you know, for the most part, they understood what I was doing. Again, like I was talking about the violence, the language was through this. I wasn't using it to shock and I wasn't using it just for shock value. I was using it to, to give uh, structure to these characters that are negative characters, and again, they got their comeuppance in the end, which doesn't always happen in in, uh, in 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 real life. But I will say this: when we talk about fearlessness, I think as a writer, everybody has a line. You have to determine that line for yourself. 
I don't think anybody else can define or determine that line for you. There are certain things I don't feel comfortable writing about. I don't write about sexual assault. I just don't feel comfortable about it. And I don't feel like it's my story to tell. Conversely, I didn't want to tell Razorblade Tears from the point of view of Isaiah and Derek, because again, I think there are LGBTQ plus writers who could tell that story way better than I could. I told that story from the point of view of people that I know, people that I grew up with, men that are like that, men that have a very narrow-minded viewpoint of everything and don't understand that they have that. And so, uh, but I think when it comes to language and freedom of speech and all that stuff, take away the political ramifications and the extraneous, extraneous political details. You have to tell your truth and you have to tell your story. And here's the thing. You have to be willing to live with the consequences. A lot of people want to say things and write things and use language in books, but then they don't want to deal with the consequences and the repercussions. Because I can go on Goodreads right now and pull up 15 or 20 reviews that call me, you know, homophobic because I use these words and this phraseology and nothing could be further from the truth. But I accept those slings and arrows because I know that where my heart is and I know where the heart of my story is and I know what I was trying to say. And so if somebody doesn't get it, sometimes that's the writer's fault and sometimes that's the reader's fault. And sometimes that's just not a story that's meant for that reader. I don't bear any ill will to those people, but I know where my heart lies. And so again, you have to define your own line, but nobody else should be able to tell you what you can and cannot write about. You just got to be willing to take this, take the hit. And a lot of people aren't. I see a lot of people online that will be like, well, I want to write about a black character, but I don't want anybody to criticize me. Then you shouldn't be writing. Yep. You shouldn't be writing. <laughs> Point blank in the story. And so, anyway. I, that's- uh, you know what? I, I'm really glad that you said that because it's my feeling. And Brandon, I've had this talk in the past where. You know, you see it. You'll see it now in the, you know, in the future forever, because some readers, writers and so forth, there's a they, they seem to not know the difference between a bigoted or or whatever horrible term you have writing a story as opposed to someone who's writing about a truth. And they put that on the author. And I, I, I personally find that to be despicable. Like, you can't say Sean Cosby's a homophobic person because he's writing about horrible people that target uh, homosexuals. Like, you, what are you supposed to write about, man? You write crime. Heather writes crime. I write crime and horror. Brian writes crime and horror. Like, what are we supposed to say? Like, this is the world we live in. So I, I kind of was curious how, and Heather, please jump in too, how you guys felt about that. Sean just answered that, but how, uh, Heather, how do you, okay. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable, don't oh, I can. Oh, I can definitely. T- okay. So I, I've been asked this a lot, uh, <laughs> but well, and kind of variations of it, like, well, don't you feel like you should have trigger warnings on your book and and I, and I do understand, I, I, I have some friends who just recently, uh, added trigger warnings to all of their uh, back catalog um which which is i, I think that's that's great it's their it's their choice to do that mm-hmm. um i i've always come from the place of i think that a reader does bear some responsibility in what they're reading um, but it is equally important that the publisher and the author as much as possible as much as they can because you know authors don't we don't have like that much say in how things are put together and marketed. Um, but 
I, for me personally, I, I was lucky to, enough to work with a publisher where I could, you know, say, hey, I really feel like we should have it phrased this way so that it's pretty, you know, it's clear that this book involves, you know, abuse. It involves, uh, you know, sex, <laughs> sexual abuse. Like, it's, it's hard to say it without saying rape. Hey, there's rape in here um, in, a, in a book description. Uh, you know, you're opening up the flap of a book. That's like not necessarily the first thing you want to see, but you want to make it pretty apparent what could possibly be triggering for readers. So, yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of reviews. I don't read reviews anymore. I don't go on good or anything like that. So. <laughs> It took like after the arc was out and stuff started coming in and, uh, you know, I had some really, really wonderful uh, reviews from early readers, but then there were like a few where it was just like, that was not the book for them. They clearly did not uh, read it all or actually some like only got to like a like pretty early chapter and that was it for them. And I, and I don't fault them for that. Like, you know, that's, you know, I, I tried my best to make sure that the, the description was going to hopefully prepare people for the dark ride that they were about to go on. <laughs> but it, you know, it doesn't always end up that way. And the people who got it, they got it. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And, and honestly, for me, and I don't know how Sean feels about this. Um, I was, I was more nervous about how my fellow writers were going to take things uh, than anything. And I know it sounds weird. Like I, I, definitely care about what readers think like just you know um but my writer friends who are reading it um and then of course like family and friends who is <laughs> a whole nother level um but yeah like whenever I started getting positive feedback from from my fellow writers then like I, I knew that some you know we people that I really like I admire and, and look at you know I just I was so concerned about how they were going to look at it. But at the same time, I was like, well, I can't change anything and I wouldn't change anything. And I think that's as a writer to, you know, talk about fearlessness. It's really, uh, it, it comes from a place of, okay, I think just not reading the reviews just helped a lot. <laughs> like I said, from that mental standpoint, but uh, once it's out in the world, I mean, what, what can you do? Like you, you hope for the best, you try to write the best damn story that you can and however people process it, you have absolutely no control over that. So why beat yourself up over it? Um, you know, the people the people who love it, they that you care about, that's that's what's gonna matter the most. I I think for me, that's what matters the most. Sure. So. That, brilliant. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I, I was gonna say, you know. Like a couple weeks, a couple months ago, there was a huge debate on, on, on you know, on the hellscape on Twitter about trigger warnings and stuff like that. The hellscape. I don't feel, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's my place to tell another writer if they want to put trigger warnings on it that you're wrong, that's censorship, or if you don't want to put trigger warnings on it. I like to, like I wanted, like to, uh, Heather said, I try to do my best to create a back flap or an inside jacket flap or a description of the book that lets readers know what they're getting into. You know, that this Raised by Tears by these two ex-cons that are looking for revenge for the kids, people who kill their kids, or Blacktop Wasteland and about this guy who's a former heist driver, you know, he gets pulled back in. I hope that you understand that. But at the same time, not every book is for everybody, you know, and you, again, just like writers have their lines, readers have their lines. And I think, mm. and I think people, I think people get too wound up 
in the idea that because somebody didn't like this book, um, or I think people get too wound up in their own personal determinations about the book. I didn't like the book, so therefore it's terrible. Nobody should read it. Or oh, this reader didn't like my book. You know, I don't believe in going after readers. I like I said, mm-hmm. I don't go on Goodreads yeah. anymore. I I don't look at I don't look at reviews. I wish pe- people would stop tagging me in negative reviews. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, they, <God>. won't. <laughs> they won't, man. <laughs> but um, you know, even said, I don't respond. I don't respond <clears> because <throat> that's that's personal experience. That's their understanding of the book, and it's it is what it is. I will say this though. I think readers can tell when your heart is in the right place. I I, I, I really maybe I'm naive. But I really do believe that. I think a reader that understands when your heart in the right place understands what you can write about. Because I think you can write about anything as long as your story earns it. As long as your story is honest and fearless and telling the truth. And again, your heart is in the right place. I mean, you can write a you can write a book about you know anything you want. And like I see this a lot with bizarro fiction. Uh, I have some friends who write bizarro fiction. You know, they're writing extreme stuff. You know, they're writing like far, far, far deep, dark, extreme horror. Um, that's not for me, you know, some of that. Some of it I read because I like horror, some of it I don't. Uh, but again, I'd never come away from that feeling like, oh, my friend is a serial killer or my friend is, you know, <laughs> wants to kidnap little kids and cut their faces off. Um, now, that being said, there are some writers, and I'm not going to mention, I, there, there's been a couple instances with writers where not only did they write about that, but then they went ahead and you know, jumped in some people's inboxes and wanted to show they wee willy whacker. Oh. And so, yeah, now I'm gonna yep. judge you. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna judge you based on what you did in conjunction with what you wrote about. So whereas I don't believe Clyde Barker has made deals with the devil and has converted <clears throat> with interdimensional demons that are uh, obsessed with pain and pleasure, there are other writers who are like, yeah, you're not invited to the party. And I think that's something that we have to be aware of as well. Um but I just wanted to say that. I didn't mean to like go on a tangent, but anyway. Man, I was thinking of that writer before you even said it. That's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you were talking, I was like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I actually met, I mentioned it to Heather in a private conversation. I don't even know how it came up. I'm like, this is fucked up. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning that, like, you know, um, it, and it's it's kind of funny. I'll just bring, bring this up real quickly. Uh, I, I, waited a long time to get on Instagram, like literally the week before my book release, because I had to do like some Instagram, um, or I didn't have to, but it was like an Instagram thing that was live and um, with Vanessa Lilly, who's great. And, and, uh, and like, I'm like, Oh, I actually really like Instagram. I'll stick around here. (laughs) Um, Although I'm really not that I'm not active at all really now, (laughs) but, but I got my first two, um, uh, inbox, uh, we'll just, we'll just say guys <laughs> like following me and, did, and then they, did, you know, did, did phalluses. <laughs> I swear those like dicks will follow you wherever you go. It just like literal dicks will follow you into your inbox wherever you go. And it's like, <laughs> I, and, and, and the, the, well, not funny. It was kind of sad. Like one of the people, I'll just say one of the people who are both of these people I blocked. Um, but one of the people they had, uh, they had followed me and I'm like, okay, well they look kind of sane. Cause they had like 
pictures of like their family. Oh god. Like, it was like, oh, no. like really like sweet pictures. I'm like, those had to all be fake. They had to just be fake. <laughs> I don't know. Like just no way. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm, yeah. can I tell you <laughs> can I tell you guys a story real quick? So Did you get some too? I, well, I'm going to tell you a story. So um, when Blacktop Wasteland first came out, um, when it, it, you know, I don't say this egotistically, it, it, it you know, took off. It, it did really well. Yeah, no I kidding. Got really, <laughs> I got really interesting emails, um, you know, from, from individuals. Uh, you know, and first it was just women, you know, like I really love, no, first it was just emails. I really love this book. I feel like you're talking to me. I feel like you're in my head. I'm like, oh, that's creepy, but whatever. And then one day I opened my inbox on my author's page. I have a separate author's page on Facebook. And I opened my inbox. It says, you have nine new messages. And I'm like, oh, well, let me open that up. And it was all inbox photos of a young lady who was wearing nothing but my book over her chestal area. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. I'm going to have to block you because this is kind of creepy. So the next day, I say, you got like, oh, you have two new messages. Oh, okay. Maybe this will be normal. One of them was normal. One of them was a a gentleman who uh, was under the mistaken impression that I was what is commonly used in LGBTQ slang as a bear. So he was under the impression that I was a bear and that he was a bear and that he thought we could be bears together. And to, to make to make his case, he sent me a digital representation of his phallus, and I was like, "So this is paint? So this is paint?" No, it was a photo. But I'm oh. trying to be nice. Oh, and I'm like, oh. Man, if this is if this is what I'm going through with this one dude, God. What are women going through every single day with every creepy, nasty dude? Yeah. And I just was like, yeah. man, you know, I just, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I feel, if I feel this way, this icky with this one random dude, you know, what are my female friends going through every single day when they open up their social media inboxes and like, you know, any guys that are listening, don't do that. Don't do that. No. Please don't do that. Don't say <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> because you in know, my experience, I was just to say, it's been my experience. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's been my experience when I was single. You know, if somebody wants to see your, you know, didgeridoo, they will ask you, you know, to put another shrimp on the Barbie. So <laughs> <laughs> I will never understand. I don't know how we got to talking about that. <laughs> I will never understand the mindset of somebody taking their camera phone and being like, oh my God, she's going to, she's going to love this. <laughs> This will work. Person, I don't know. <laughs> this will work. <laughs> so there was a comment I wanted to jump on way earlier. <laughs> jump the, on, sir. Uh, just about trigger warnings. And I was just going to say, I agree with you guys. The one thing that pisses me off is when these assholes, and sometimes they're not friends, but they're people that I think of as like almost maybe respectable writers, whatever. I don't know whatever word you want to use where they're like, you can't do this or you have to do this or whatever. I hate when people 
basically peer pressure you and the whole hellscape thing was like you need trigger warnings or you're a piece of shit that's not the case like if you want them yes i've heard cases on all sides i respect everyone's views and opinions for me personally i don't think i'm ever gonna have them in my books does mean i don't respect you it's just very irritated when people have the audacity to basically try to bully you and act like if you don't do this, you're not a nice person. That's what I hate about social media in a nutshell. Well, yeah, and I, and I, I think, think Sean, so go ahead, Sean. No, go ahead, Brandon. I want to hear what you said. I, I, I was going to say, you. it's, you know, it's pronounced Sean, Brandon. It's oh, not. Boy, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Sean had <laughs> 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 a good point where, you know, he said he, when when he you know is writing back cover copy or whatever you know he tries to include it now if like just out of nowhere there was there was something then uh something unexpected let's say then you know may, maybe that you approach that a different way but as it stands you know oh this book says it's going to be violent motherfucker it's violent you know like that's, <laughs> um i think that's a legitimate way to look at it is you know, telling people what they're going to get by whether it's by the cover art, whether it's by, um, you know, kind of like a, a single line blurb on the front or whether it's by the description on the back. I, th I think that's extremely legitimate. Um, and if, you know, somebody read this and 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 said, you know, oh, I'm shocked and abhorred by the uh, by the violence inside. You know, you got to do a little bit of research, you know, if there was a surprise, um, you know, uh, say, you know, something to do with with children or whatever that wasn't advertised that just came completely out of left field. Well, that's a different story. But, you know, if you can kind of let yeah. the reader know what they're getting into, uh, just looking at the the, the package, um, then. That doesn't come off good after our last conversation, but <laughs> you know, that, um, you know, you're right. The reader does have to take some responsibility for that. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll just say one more thing about that, and it's funny that you mentioned. I'm, I shouldn't laugh. This is horrible. You mentioned children. The book I'm working on now is about it's a, it's a serial killer Southern Gothic novel, and the serial killer's chosen victimology is 12 to 15 year olds. So there's a lot of dig kids in this book that I'm working on. But I'm telling you now, I'm telling you now. <laughs> you're going to write it on the back cover, um, damn it. Oh, no. Yeah, that's like, you know, but that being said, that's being said, like, you know, if you read a, I, I'll use this book as an example. I don't know if either, any of you guys have heard of it. There's a book called Tampa by a writer named Allison. Yes! And that book tells you exactly what is going to happen. And I, you know, and for me personally, I still wasn't prepared, but I respect the writer because she gave me all the information. This is a book about a teacher, who, a female teacher who's like 26, 27, who is a pedophile. It is a book about that. That is what this book is about. It is a book about a nasty, disgusting person who is a pedophile. And I, I don't know how you make that any plainer. Anybody that reads Tampa and then wants to say later on, I didn't understand what that was about. You weren't reading. You didn't look at the, you know, the advanced yeah. copy or the reviews. Um, but no, uh, I wanted to say something uh, about that. Um, just you know, again, I, I want to reiterate to something that, that Heather said. Whether you have decide to have trigger warnings or not is is your decision. And I, you know, I, I think I res I want to say you know I respect everybody whatever decision they make. What Patrick said, 
I don't want anybody to tell anybody they can do something or they can't do something. Everybody should have their own determ- make their own determination about that, and that's fine. Um, but uh, I think ultimately, what I feel like our duty, our charge, so to speak, as writers, is to tell the truth. You know, we we make up stories, we tell lies to find the truth. And again, I think sometimes the truth is hard. You know, I, I think sometimes the tr- truth is difficult. And uh, it, it, it's our job as writers to disseminate and articulate that in a way that readers can understand. And, and readers don't have to agree with what we consider our truth. You know, uh, there are certain things that are axiomatic in life, I think. You know, you don't hurt children. You shouldn't put your hands on somebody that doesn't want you to put their hands on them. Um, and I think the way we talk about those those axiomatic things is what gives writing its beauty, what gives writing its power. Um, and so, you know, I write crime fiction, Heather writes crime, you know, you guys write crime fiction and horror, but there are other writers that write literary fiction that also talk about dark things. I mean, it, there's a book called A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley, and that is a dark book. There is some dark shit going on in that book, uh, which I don't think the back cover did a real good job of explaining because it's a literary genre fiction. And I think sometimes genre fiction is the redhead stepchild when it comes to publishing in books. You know, like, again, using A Thousand Acres as an example, there's attempted fratricide in there, there's sexual assault, there's sexual abuse, um, there's infidelity, there's you know, all types of dark things in that book. That book went on to win the Pulitzer Prize. But because it's a literary novel, you know, no one questions the content as opposed to a horror novel or a crime fiction novel. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, a little bit of, you know, I think there's a little bit of disingenuousness in people's reactions uh, to things based on what genre they come from. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't change anything that I write about. I love writing about crime fiction. I think crime fiction is the most honest way of talking about the human condition because I think every book can be a crime fiction book because every character that you write about has the potential to break the law, has the potential to do something dark, you know, has potential to go against societal norms. And so whether you're talking about a book, whether you're talking about Shakespeare or whether you're talking about you know, early American writers like Nathaniel Hawthorne or Frank Norris, or whether you're talking about, you know, you know, Dickens, everybody, you know, there's nothing more noir and dark than, you know, Mrs. Havisham and, you know, uh, in Great Expectations sitting in that fucking room with all them goddamn rats. And she's like 80 years old, still wearing her wedding dress. That wedding dress had to be funky as hell. She hadn't changed that thing in 70 years. But it's, you know, there's nothing darker than that, you know? And so I think, you know, a lot of times genre fiction bears the brunt of society's uh, reactionary uh, uh, politics and, and, mm. and stuff. But uh, I love writing about it. You know, um, this, you know, Dennis Lehane said one time that, you know, writing about crime fiction or writing about noir fiction specifically is different when you write about literary fiction. Sometimes in literary fiction, he says people fall from great heights. He said in noir fiction, people fall from the curb into the street. And, and that's where I want to, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to talk about. You know what? I'm going to throw one at you. Let's play this game a little bit longer. Mark Twain. Let's do Tom Sawyer. You could, it's funny to think of it in this way. You could, and if it was penned by him, have a pretty goddamn good noir um, book by, by Twain set in that era. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Twain. I mean, Tom, you know, uh, you know, uh, Huck Finn and and and, and Tom Sawyer are, are dark books. There's a lot of dark shit that happens to them. Faulkner is 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 noir. I mean, Faulkner is you know one of our great literary giants, an incredible uh, experimenter with language. He did things with language that people had never done before. Things that we do now that we take for granted that are are, are regular 
tropes of the way we write Faulkner created. And so, um, but yeah, you know, like Light in August is, if you haven't read Light in August, probably his most accessible book. Light in August is a dark noir drama uh, that, you know, is considered one of the great pieces of American fiction. Uh, you know, and so I, I think, you know, you talk about comic books, you know, The Watchmen is a masterpiece of noir fiction, you know. Uh, and so, you know, noir stretches across all medias, all all genres, all, you know, permutations of the way we express ourselves, the written word, uh, because it talks about the things that are closest to the human experience, pain, loss, lust, desire, perversion, hope, optimism, you know, all those things exist in noir. Um, they exist in various degrees and in different forms, but they all exist in there. And I think that's why I love writing about it. I, I, you know, I struggled for a number of years uh, when I first started writing, finding the way, the genre, I guess, that I wanted to write. And I tried doing sci-fi. I tried doing horror. Um, and, and something about crime fiction clicked for me. And I think it probably has to do with my upbringing. You know, anybody that's heard me talk before knows that I you know, we grew up really poor. I was, you know, I was talking about, you know, I didn't have indoor plumbing until I was 16 years old. I remember the night we moved in the trailer and we had a bathroom and me and my brother just flushed it like five or 15 times in a row. Just like, I can't wait to take a shit. This is great. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's what, you know, it, 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 it's the thing that is closest to my heart when, you know, I talk about what I want to write about. I mean, and that being said, I do want to write about things that are a little more expansive. I have ideas, things that I'm working on now, things that I want to work on in the future that sort of move away from that a little bit. But at its core, I'll always be writing about noir fiction. So, so Sean, real quick, I, I one thing I latched on to that you said uh, a while ago now, but uh, you said uh, you talked about, you know, kind of owning what you write down. And this is all the way back when, you know, Patrick asked you about uh, using certain slurs in your work. Um, you said, I I'm going to own it. And the one thing that kind of jumped out to me is, you know, the, the argument that so many of these ding-dongs have where, you know, they, they yell First Amendment and they can say whatever they want. And that doesn't, yes, that's technically true, but it doesn't mean it's free from consequences, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's what, you know, as far as, as owning it, um, it would be really great if people wrote reviews, read your book and wrote reviews and didn't assume, you know, they knew your personality, assume intent and all that. It would be really great if uh, people stopped tagging you in negative reviews, but neither one of those damn things is going to happen. Um, <laughs> no, I you know, don't no, think so. <laughs> no, no question here, but I, I just thought that was an important thing to latch on to as far as the discussion about, you know, people telling you what you can and can't write, people telling you, you know, how you should write it. Um, absolutely, you know, my, my takeaway is absolutely do it, but be prepared to have people not like it pretty much no matter what you do. Also, I think it's important to say that you also do your due diligence, do your work. You know, if you're going to write about people outside of your personal experience, you know, um, do the, the work to talk to people, research. If you're going to write about Okay, I'll go back to Raised by Tears. I'm writing about people in the LGBTQ community. I reached out to friends of mine. I, you know, I'll give a shout out to a really good friend of mine, PJ Vernon, who's the author of Bathhouse. But we were really good friends. You know, we we kind of came up together struggling to get uh, publishing deals. And, you know, I reached out to him because he's somebody I respect. And I also respect him enough to know that he's going to tell me the truth. And he did. There were things in the first draft of Raised by Tears that I got right. 
you know? And there were things in the first draft of Razor Matias that I got wrong. And he was somebody who was, you know, cared about me enough as a friend to be honest with me. And it's like, no, you didn't get that right. You need to, you know, I'll give you an example. Anybody that's read Razor Blade Tears, there's a scene that takes place at a, at a, a gay bar. In the initial draft of that, that I have a, I, Ike gets hit on by somebody and he flips out and he assaults this person. And the initial draft, I had what I thought was a very moving moment where everybody in the bar got quiet and nobody said anything. And they looked at Ike with these, you know, long, reproachful gazes. And my friend PJ said, look, man, a fight in a gay bar is like a fight in any other bar. Tables get moved. People are getting out of the way. They're trying to grab their drinks. There's yelling. There's talking. People get in the fight. You know, people are separating people. He said, you know, you know. A fight in a gay bar is not some type of like religious experience where everybody gets down on one knee, you know, and that was my fault. That was my mistake. What I thought was respectful and what I thought was moving was actually condescending, you know. And so you have again, you have what I said before, you can write about whatever you write about, but you have to be able to take the hits. You have to take the, you know, the, 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 the legitimate criticisms. And sometimes not so legitimate criticism, but you have to be willing to do the work. You have to create, I can't say this enough, you have to create character characters, not caricatures. And you, you have to do that. You know, you have, if you're going to write about characters outside of your own, your own race, then make sure that you read about people who have and the experiences they've gone through. Talk to people, you know. Talk to people from that community. If you're going to write about a disabled person, and I, I always trust me out when people don't want to do the research. You know, yeah. I shouldn't have, I don't want a sensitivity reader. I don't want somebody, it's like, if you write about the FBI and you had an opportunity to talk to somebody from Quantico, wouldn't you take it? Yep. So what's the difference if you're going to write about somebody in a wheelchair, you're going to write about a disabled person, and you have a disabled person that you know, when you want to talk to them to get their firsthand understanding of their situation, I don't understand people that, really when people say that kind of stuff, what they really want to say, what they're really saying is, I want to write people the way I think they are, and I don't want to write them the way they really are, and I don't want anybody to say anything to me about it. And that, nothing pisses me off more than that. Nothing in the world. Oh my God, I hate that. Lazy again, assholes. I, yeah, lazy writers, man. I hate that shit, man. I hate that. But, yeah. um, you know, um, I wanted to say, like, for instance, uh, with, with walking through needles, I love reading a book where I, 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 at the end of it, I'm like, man, I couldn't have wrote that. I couldn't have done that. And I think, you know, we talk about fearlessness and talking about intimacy and 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 uh, owning an agency, owning your 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 personality and your own agency. And that, you know, a book like Walking the Needles does that incredibly well. You know, uh, I think that's the thing that uh, anybody listening that wants to be a writer should really take hold. And if you don't listen to anything else we said tonight, you know, own your characters, own your story, write your truth, you know, write from a place of truth. You know, don't write for the algorithm. Don't write to be a bestseller. Write your truth, because at the end of the day, that's what people are going to remember. That's what people are going to talk about, you know. And so, you know, people I've had people ask me since Razor Blade Tears debut, you know, it was on the number 10 on New York Times and stuff. They're like, well, how do I write a bestseller? I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell you because I didn't write it to be a bestseller. <laughs> I, 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 I wrote it to tell the best story I could. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. And writing is the only one that I felt comfortable with. It's the only one I felt like I, I knew what I was doing. You know, and, and I think at the end of the day, you have to write from that position of truth. You know, it's like 
I, I don't want to tell people that you don't have the passion for writing, then you shouldn't be a writer. I don't believe you have to write every day. I, you know, I, none of those rules, there are no rules to writing, but I think the one thing about writing that is true, you have to want it. You have to really want it really bad. You have to want it in a way that you're willing to sacrifice other things. You know, I did a talk one time at mm. George Mason University. And uh, I did a talk at George Mason University and there were some people in the audience. They were like, well, I don't know how to find the time to write. I don't know. You know, I can't find the time to write. You know, I, and it was some people that were married, had kids. There were some people. And uh, th- there was a gentleman there. And I know you guys know him. Gabino Iglesias was there. And he said this. He asked the person, he says, well, you know, do you do, do extracurricular activities at co- you know, here at the college? And the person was like, yeah, you know, I'm on the cheering team and I'm on this and that. He says, so you make time for those things because they're important to you. And they say, yeah. He said, well. If you're not making time for writing, then it's not important to you. And and I think that's the mm. hard truth. That's the hard truth. So yeah, that's all I got to say about that. You know what? <laughs> that that those are all great points. And, and Gabino is I don't know how he has time to do any. I don't think he sleeps. But uh, <laughs> we we all yeah, we all love that guy. Well, I met him at Scares I Care a couple of weeks ago. I hugged him, and I'm like, "Is it? Are you a tree? Because it's so fucking. <laughs> I'm a big guy, but goddamn, you scare me. He's he's a friendly, friendly, friendly guy. Unless you're an asshole. But anyways, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Heather, you were gonna say something. Sorry about that. Oh no, I don't. I don't even remember what the heck. I don't know if you guys saw. Like, yeah, that like our we had a little power flash here. So I'm like, where, where, what's going on? So I had to, I had to whip out my phone really quick. That's why I'm at, I'm a different angle now, so you get to see like a different angle. Audio, audio listeners, Heather's had a different <laughs> angle now, just as beautiful. If you don't mind me saying, um, thank you, absolutely. So speaking of New York Times bestsellers. You were kind of, or New York Times, <laughs> sorry. That's different from being on the no. New York Times top list, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, uh, but yes, I, I did. I, like the weekend before uh, Walking Through Needles came out. Um, yeah, I got that wonderful review in the New York Times and I about died. Uh, what a lot of people didn't know is that like two weeks beforehand, I knew that I was going to get reviewed because, you know, like, I don't, well, I don't know if, if many people know this or not, but um, generally you, you do find out from your publisher or whoever, like, yeah, you're getting a review. And, <laughs> and sometimes there's a little, there's a little bit of a gap between when that review actually comes out. So I had two weeks of absolute freaking out, like <laughs> night sweats, especially, especially like uh, they, they said, oh, well, it might come out. The digital uh, one might come out on a Thursday, like Thursday before, before the release. So like two days before that, I didn't sleep Thursday, nothing came out. And, and I, so I was like freaking out. I didn't sleep at all that Thursday night. And then it was like Friday around noon is whatever it, re- it released. And then I, and, and of course you don't know, you don't know if it's going to be good or bad. That's the other thing too. Like you just know you're getting a review and then it was, and it was a positive review. And I'm like, Holy, did I, did I just, did I, did I just read the word spellbinding? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> about my book and yeah that was that was pretty much like the best gift uh, ever and my husband went out and bought six copies of the sunday times <laughs> at barnes and noble because that's like the closest place that had one and i'm like damn you know how expensive the new york times is <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I'm like, that's a, you know, that's a, that's I'm going to need so to sell incredible. some books. 
going to need some sell some books so I can make up for the cost of all this New York Times coffee. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not anywhere near where, where Sean's at, but uh, seeing, see, seeing, his, seeing his success and, you know, so, some other, uh, you know, folks that I've, I've been keeping my eye out that I've, I've been wanting to, to see big success, like Kelly Garrett, um, you know, there, there, there's so many people who are like finally getting like, like the big deals, right? Like the, the really big deals. And I can't say that, like, I, of course, everybody does want a big deal. Yeah. I, okay. I'm lying. I do want a big deal. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what, what, and, and I, you know, like, I just, I, I just got done reading, um, well, while back. Cause I read it like right when it came out, when Megan Abbott's the turnout just came out and then she got on the New York times and that like that was her that was like a checkbox for her and I'm like what Mm -hmm. like that how was that a first time for her like I really I Mm -hmm. I, it kind of blew my mind because I and I had to go back and like try to find I was like that true and so (laughs) yeah like she's this far into her career and she's still um able to have those moments where like she's excited about something that's happening in her career. So I look at it like that. Like I look at whatever happens from here on out. I hope it's always a step further. Um, that's, that's kind of the thing. Like, I, I don't want to go backwards and, and what I'm doing and especially with like what I'm writing, you know, like as Sean says, always tell your truth. That's what I'm, I try to do it. This work in progress. That's uh, beating the hell out of me because it is very. It's it's hitting <laughs> close to home on the truth <laughs> skill. You're bleeding so, on the page. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get. I'm getting to that place where I'm. I'm getting scared about how certain people are going to look at it. So that's when I know. Yeah, that's. I'm like, okay, I'm. I'm going to get there eventually. It's just. Yeah, it's taken me a lot longer than I thought. Pandemic, all this stuff, and. So I basically, I keep sending my, I sent my agent a, a new, you know, a new, like, okay, this is, I'm working on this and this is when I hope to have it. Like I was hoping to be done by the, by this fall and that's not <laughs> happening. So I'm like, well, no, I'm sorry. I was hoping to be done by summer. And now I'm like the fall, because that gives me until the <laughs> end of December. So, and I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's how it is. Like I'm not working on a the probably the kind of I don't know I don't know what's what, what's your deadline uh Sean but like you know when people already have a book deal they have like a two book deal or whatever like they have to be working on that next deal and I don't have that right now so I don't have to worry about that but I do worry about it from oh, the standpoint man. of I don't want my agent <laughs> to drop me so <laughs> I miss those days. No, um, it's, <laughs> no, it's funny. You know, you, when you start out, like you know, when I wrote Darkest Prayer, I wrote that on spec. Nobody was checking for that. I just wrote it, and then similar. I kind of was like that with Blacktop Wasteland. I wrote it, and then I met an agent, and then the agent repped it, and then it became you know the guy with Flatiron and had his two book deal. I was lucky because Razorblade Tears. I didn't think Blacktop Wasteland was gonna sell, so I just went right into writing Razorblade Tears. Like, all right, I've been writing nonstop mm-hmm. for like four years. Like, I've been writing like all the time. And so now, and then what happened was my agent got me like some other opportunities in different medias, I guess is a good way mm-hmm. of saying it, uh, different genres. And so I've been writing those. Like I wrote Raceway Tears and a uh, audio drama and a young adult novel all the same time last year. I was writing all three of them at the wow. same time. Wow. And that was crazy. I'll never, I'll never do that again. 
I'll never do it again. I'm, I'm actually, that was really dumb. Um, but you know, when you, when you, and I think Heather can, Heather, Heather can talk to this. When you grow up in a certain economic situation, you are never mm-hmm. secure. You never feel secure. So if someone's like, oh, we're going to yeah. pay you X amount of dollars to write this audio drama, I'll do it. And we're going to pay you X amount of dollars to write this YA novel. I'll do that too. Because you, because you feel like, I'm, I'm never going to have enough. It's, I'm never going to yeah. be safe. You know, I eat the whole loaf of bread. You know, I eat the whole loaf of bread, you know, the middle and the heels, because that's the way I grew up. And so I have to do, it's hard to get yourself out of that mindset. And so yeah. I'm sort of working on getting myself out of that mindset. The deadline I was talking about before it went on the air, once I'm done with that, I'm taking a three week, like a two or three week sabbatical. I'm not writing anything. It'd be the longest time I haven't written anything in four years. I don't want to write anything. I just want to like read, catch up on my reading, watch some movies, go hiking. I've been hiking all year. So all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then I'll come back. But like you said, because I'm with Flatiron, I have a deadline. I, they, you know, they want another book by June of next year. And so I got to get cracking on that. I, I'm actually writing it kind of, you know, uh, already. Uh, I don't know if I told you guys about it last time, but basically uh, tentatively titled All the Sinners Bleed. Um, it's a Southern Gothic murder mystery. Uh, it's about the first black sheriff in a small Southern town. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I'm working on that, which it's going to be more, it's going to be horror influenced. It's not going to be supernatural. Uh, it's like if justified met true detective, I really want to get very That's I really want to get right up. I like those cops right up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right up to that supernatural line but not go over it. Uh, and so I'm working really hard on that. It's probably gonna be the longest book ever written. Uh, really? And so, you know, yeah, cause it's, I, cause it's this, it's this story, but I'm also telling the story of this town. I'm probably, it's, I want to delve into, into really talking about small town life. I've hinted mm-hmm. at it in Blacktop and I've hinted at it in Razor Plate, but I really want to talk about, you know, the role religion plays in small Southern towns or in small towns in general, but, for my purposes, small southern town, you know. I come from a town of 8,000 people, and we have 18 churches. There's no reason we should have 18 churches in that town. And so I, I, I want to talk about that. And I'm talking about, you know, it's you know, it's the holy trinity of southern fiction, which is race, class, and sex. And, and sex is going to be a part of it. Class and, and race is definitely going to be a part of it. And so uh, it's going to be longer. Um, I, I want to delve into some things, uh, talk about some things. And, you know, but it's it's with that thing, you know, like you were saying, Heather, your book you're working on now is very mm. personal. I'm actually going an opposite way. Like Darkest Prayer and Black Top Wasting were very personal. And then with Raise Away Tears, I'm sort of moving away from my own personal feelings and talking about issues that I find interesting. Uh, with this book, All the Sinners Bleed, I'm talking about religion. I'm talking about policing. I'm talking about what it feels like to be a person of color and also be a police officer, what that means to you individually and as a part of the community. I'm talking about, you know, you know, the the way that the way that evil can hunt a haunt a town, you know, you know, uh, you know, all our towns in America are founded in blood. You know, every small town, especially on the East Coast, is you dig deep enough, you know, there's a river of blood that flows beneath them. Oh, there's uh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to... I, was just, I was just gonna add so, something anyway, I want to talk about all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to add something interesting to to piggyback on that point that I think, especially Sean, I know you're big in history, Sean, uh, Heather, if you are too, you might find this interesting is uh, where being Brennan are from in uh, Southern Eastern part of Massachusetts, the 
per capita bloodiest war was King Philip's War. That's in the Plymouth area. That that's where we grew up, and that's not talked about really in any history books. And if it is, it's a tidbit. And the only reason mm-hmm. I know so much about it as I do is because I love history and I I, I dug mm-hmm. all this stuff up. It there's a lot of fucked up stuff that happened. Like it it goes way beyond the pilgrims gave them some some disease ridden blankets. Like it was a whole line of uh, they done got fucked and then their body their corpses got fucked. Yeah, it's like if you look at any you look at any historical, but I mean not even history. Like look at a. Like since you talk about horror a lot, look at Salem's Lot and the way Stephen King talks about Salem's Lot in that book and how he he really deconstructs that small town. And he talks about it in the macro when you talk about the, the history of the town, the Marston House and and people that are lived in that town from the 20s on in. But he also talks about in the micro where he goes into the individual houses and talks about who's beating their wife, you know, who's cheating on their husband. Who's you know who's murdered someone? And King does that a lot. He does that really well, and that's something I want to emulate in this book. You know, uh, when you go through those books, and he talks about the deep dark secrets that exist in small towns, and I think that those secrets exist in small towns in a way they don't exist in larger areas and more urban areas. Hey guys, I hate to cut this short, but I I gotta run here. Okay. Yeah, uh, problem. So you guys want to, uh, I don't even know what time questions. it is now. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we guys got a couple. Where am I? <clears throat> yeah, if you want to edit around that, ask me a couple final questions. That'd be cool. No, no worries. Hold up, one hour. Yeah, no problem. Um, how about this? We do final thoughts and then call it a night. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. You know what? Uh, how about we go with our final thoughts? Uh, we'll start with you, Heather. Oh, okay. Am I, am I, are they just like general final thoughts? What are your final thoughts about <laughs> anything you want? Tell us where people, on top of that, tell us where people can follow you. Okay. Everybody, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Heather L. Levy um, and on Instagram, same handle. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. I've got an author page out there. I know I need to get like an actual website. I'm really, really horrible about like technology stuff and all of that. So I'm like, if I have a web page, what am I going to do with that web page? Like, uh, I don't know. I, need, I don't. I don't have somebody writing content for me. I have no idea. I actually have no idea. Sean has somebody writing content for for like a website, but uh, I know plenty of people who do, and they have amazing people. (laughs) 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 But but yeah, uh, final thoughts. I mean, everybody, go out if you haven't already. Pick up Sean's book. Pick up Razor Blade Tears. Go back. Pick up Blacktop Wasteland. My Darkest Prayer. Yeah, for real, like. What are you doing if you're not reading, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of losers so, if you're oh, not. And then, of course, pick up Mind Walking Through Needles debut. So it's out there. It's out there in the world. What, what, get Buy my book so I can see my number. Because I, I do check the Amazon numbers, which is stupid, I know. but Because it like fluctuates throughout the whole You're going to drive I'm yourself like, crazy. I'm like, look up my yeah, number. I'm like, that. oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, don't do but that. Do yet. that so I can see my numbers jump a little bit. Okay, <laughs> it gets me excited. <laughs> Sean, oh, man. Sean, final thoughts, sir. Uh, thank you guys for having me again. This is so great. Anybody that knows me knows I love to talk about writing. I can talk about writing 
literally ad nauseum. I miss, miss, miss conventions because one of my favorite mm-hmm. things is to go to the bar around 10 o'clock, get a good drink and start just talking about writing with other writers. And that's something that really is uh, a hole in my soul. I miss that so much. Uh, final thoughts about, uh, please go out and get Walking Through Needles. You will not read a more honest and more fearless book this year. I think the most, the last book I read that had that level of raw, unbridled, aggressive honesty was Bastard Out of Carolina. And that that's an amazing book in its Who's own that way. I haven't read it. So. Oh, I can't, the name, the author escapes me right now. Dang Bastard it. Out of but you, Carolina. Yeah. Bastard <laughs> Are you Googling it? Google it. It's an incredible <laughs> book. And, and, but that, that was down. the last book that came to mind that, that really, that really had that same level of just unbridled, raw, just, you know, no fucks given, really. Um, and I wanted to say, you know, people can find me on Twitter. I don't have a website. There's nobody <laughs> writing content for me. I probably should get somebody. Uh, I, I, all I got is my, all I got is, I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, uh, Black Lion King 73. You can see my random uh, brain droppings on there. Uh, I have a uh, Facebook page, S.A. Cosby author. I also have a personal Facebook page, but don't send me weird shit there. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to give a shout out to a couple a couple folks real quick. Uh, if you haven't read uh, a couple writers you should probably be looking into uh, other than Heather, uh, who's a great writer. Uh, Nikki Dolson, she has a collection out called yes. Love and Other Acts of uh, Violence. Uh, uh, that's a great collection of short stories. Nikki, if, if you like Megan Abbott, you'll like Nikki Dolson's work. Yes. Of course, uh, Heather me- measured, uh, mentioned Kelly Garrett earlier. But here's somebody that I, I really want to give a shout out to. Um, he hasn't, he, do, I, he doesn't write anymore, um, but his early, his, his previous work is just incredible. If you haven't read anything by Ed Kurtz, I knew it. Seek him out. He, yeah. I'm trying uh, to get him uh, on I the love. show. Ed Kurtz is an amazing, writer the real from which I remake the world is is a classic uh, you know Ed, Ed is one of those people that seamlessly blends horror, crime, sci-fi Lovecraftian mythos all in the same story sometimes he's uh, writing westerns he great quote. yeah he wrote westerns, uh, A Wind of Knives uh, if you want to talk about a western that takes the western genre and turns it on his head and writes you know it's, it's an LGBTQ western uh, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that there were a lot of LGBTQ plus people in the Old West that have been erased from history. But Ed, you know, Ed is that that rare person who does every genre well, you know, and I, you know, and, and you know, he hasn't written anything for a long time for his, his own personal reason. And I totally understand that. No pressure on him at all. But read his work, read everything he's written, if you can get a chance and get your hands on it. He read a story at a Noir at the Bar. Uh, I think it was called Mules. It is the most disturbing story I've ever heard live. Oh my God. It's about some drug mules and it's a there's an in vitro twin involved. And it's just it may I, I watched him make people leave the bar <laughs> in fear and disgust. It is and it's it's incredible. He's and also he's the he has an incredible voice. He's an incredible reader. He's just a great all-around guy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, look up the work of Ed Kurtz. Um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, to take a gander at, uh, what's really the dark side of horror and crime fiction. And that, that's all I got. Beautiful. Brennan, uh, what, what you got for final thoughts, sir? Final thoughts. Uh, I want to thank Heather for uh surprise joining us tonight. You've been an absolute <laughs> pleasure and, uh, we've got you on in about two weeks. So we get to talk to you more. Um, 
Yay. Absolutely loved walking through needles. We'll dive into that even more, you know, when we, when you get your own full episode. But people should uh, go out right now and, and and buy that so that you know you can be happy with your numbers and all that good stuff. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it was it was my pleasure. I was so excited. I was like, yes, I will definitely surprise you. <laughs> I'm definitely surprised. To, it gives me an excuse to get you know like together (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a a small con right now um sean i I mean i I could i think i could sit here and listen to you talk for five hours i wouldn't hear you repeat yourself Mm -hmm. once and i wouldn't be bored for a second uh always a pleasure to have you on you have you are too big to be on our show but we appreciate you (laughs) making the time for us um pat's mad because i i wasn't supposed to tell you that we we were hoping you didn't know that but uh (laughs) Uh, one more thing I want to add in for anybody who's made it this far. If you don't already have this book, we're going to be doing a giveaway for a brand new hardcover version of Razorblade Tears. Uh, U.S. people only, and you'll have to follow the Twitter uh, in order to uh, figure out what the hell we're going to do to uh, what we're going to require people to do to give that away. It's at dead underscore headspace. Whoever wet snaps more fingers wins. So for my, oh. fi- <laughs> for, <laughs> for my final thoughts, Heather, thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and to call you and Sean. I'm going to say it on air friends. Like it's, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I wanted to say one very, very quick story. Sean did an AMA, asked me anything last year. And I, I am like some of my peers just don't give a shit. And I'll ask anyone if they want to come on my show. It's worth a shot. So I said, Sean, what, how can I get on your radar? And he came on and I, I, I this is the third time he's been on. He came on with Lansdale, Gabino and Cena Palio before. And every time it is amazing. Heather, we have the same experience with you. Yeah. Um, and I just got to say, Sean, thank you for all the wonderful books. We want you back whenever. And we appreciate your both your guys' time. So thank you for that. Thank um, you. Listener, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Listeners, next episode, episode 112 is with Keith Lansdale. That is Joe R. Lansdale's boy. He is also a writer of many great horror stories. So stay tuned for that for next Monday. And you have many choices in podcasts. We appreciate you picking us. Have a good one. You are now leaving Deadhead Space. I, uh, I had two deadlines for two separate, very different projects. At the same time, one of them, uh, I thought I was done with both of them and I turned them in. And then the other one, one of them was fine. Uh, you know, the, they they accepted it. And the other one, uh, how can I put this? I had more questions. So I'm, I'm working on that tonight. And after I get off, I've been working on it all day and I'm going to work on it tonight. And hopefully uh, I'll be able to turn that in. So I'll actually have this weekend off to not do anything. So <laughs> Sounds great, man. You got weekends wow. off now? <laughs> well, I don't, I didn't, you know, it's funny. That's the other side of the coin. People always ask me like, you know, how does it feel? You know, things are moving so fast and, you know, have New York Times bestseller book and all that. 
But the other side of it is that a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunities that come, but with that opportunities, there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of demands on your time. And it, it's way different than when I was uh, riding around with my buddy Eric Pruitt, you know, in in his uh, big old uh, SUV, and we had a trunkload of uh, books from like our independent publisher, and we were riding down the East Coast trying to get uh, people to buy them and put them in their bookstores, and so. It's 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 good trouble. It's good good problems to have, but at the same time, it is um it's a significant shift than where I was like five years ago. You know, mm. like because people are you know you know I mean I've always been good with deadlines because uh, I take that seriously as, whether I was getting paid or not. You know, but mm. uh, there is a difference when uh, they are more people um, depending on you. I guess is a good way of saying it, and there's more on the line, I guess. So I, I, I'll put it like this. I can see very easily now on the other side of this, uh, why writers, uh, like if you look you know, like a J.D. Salinger, why they only wrote one or two books and kind of just <laughs> you know, receded into the background because it can be, a, uh, you definitely need downtime. You definitely need downtime to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Right. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Until you, unless you're like a, you know, unless you like Stephen King, uh, you just write whatever the fuck you want, and like, nobody can. T- you know, you get to that point where nobody can tell you anything. They literally, it's not even that they're afraid of you. It's just you become an entity unto yourself. You're too big to fail, so you can do whatever you want. So, but yeah, I'm definitely look forward to finishing the uh, uh, rewrites or the notes on this last project, and then uh, looking forward to like not doing anything for like three or four days. Thank you, guys. Means a lot. All right. Yeah. Good night, guys. Thank have you. Have a great night. Uh, Y'all have a thank good you night. for surprising me. Thank you for surprising me. Oh, so, nice to see you. so good to I, see you. I was I was terribly embarrassed, but I appreciate it all the same. <laughs> oh, you know, I cannot I guess I because I was waiting. I was waiting to get on. And so I, I was like yeah. waiting for the, the 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 text message so I could like log on. So I, I didn't hear anything you guys were talking about. So I can't <laughs> wait for that episode to come out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, good night. Bye-bye, guys. Good, good night, night everybody. Bye-bye. Good night. Take care.